Praise the Lord, everybody. Uh, that wasn't a suggestion. That was a command. Praise the Lord, everybody. God is worthy of praise. Come on, clap those hands and give the Lord glory. What a joy, what a joy. Welcome to the house of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. And we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I'm Pastor Parnell and Lovelace Jr. And it is an honor to be before God's people today. And to all of you, welcome. And happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers that are in the room. Grandmothers, mother figures, mothers that are on the earth, mothers that are in heaven such as mine who's been asleep in the Lord for 15 years. And those mothers that are here that have children that are with the Lord Jesus. Can we clap our hands and love on all of our mothers, all of our grandmothers. We love you. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Absolutely. We love you. We love you. We love you. And I'm just so glad for you all being here. And we certainly thank the Lord for our pastor, Pastor Lance Hahn, as he is in the, the middle of his studies. He's in his first year of doctoral studies there at Talbot's School of Theology down at Biola University. And we're excited for him. I can tell he's excited because uh, he preached four times last weekend and uh, the last service got right on the road and drove down to Southern California and I didn't get in the bed good until I got a text from him telling me, hey, bud, look at my room that I have there at the hotel. It's a wonderful hotel room. And I said, he's excited because he's showing me pictures of his hotel room. (laughs) So we are so grateful, again, that God has blessed us with a pastor that loves to study. And I just really believe God is going to use him in his studies to be even more of a blessing, not just to us, but to the body of Christ. He's actually in a program, a doctoral program that I completed in 2013 with a professor that I studied with. And this professor is getting ready to retire. He's a renowned professor. He is retiring after he finishes our pastor's cohort. So our pastor is blessed, and we're blessed that he's been able to do that. Then we have three of our pastors that are traveling in Israel right now with a group from our church that are there. So we're certainly praying for them that they have a safe journey. They are learning so much, and they will come back with uh, showing us more and more about the Holy Land. So we're grateful. And uh, one last thing, just smile at somebody next to you and say, and I celebrate you today. Go ahead and tell them, I celebrate you. Absolutely. I celebrate you. Let's pray together. And let's get right into the Word of God and see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you for this, your beloved and my dear ones that have gathered here. As always, I am humbled, God, that you would take a young man, God, who was born in Montgomery, Alabama, who stuttered until he was 17 years old, whom the doctors said would not live to be 15 years. And God, you would put your spirit upon me now to come and speak the word of life to your people. Would you, Holy Spirit, come? Allow your presence to be so rich within this place that when we would leave here, we would not leave the same way that we came that we would know that there's a touch of Jesus that is upon our lives. Oh, we bless you. Allow your word to come alive in us, oh God. Thank you for the millions of angels that are standing watch. And we give you praise and honor and glory. This we do in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Well, let's jump right into this. Uh, we have been studying the book of Habakkuk, and uh, we are in the last teaching of the book of Habakkuk, the last, the seven part, last of the seven-part series. Our pastor, Pastor Lance and Pastor Brian, have done a marvelous job at taking a text that is not often preached within churches and unpacking it so as to allow us to see the wisdom of God and, in essence, the ministry of Jesus, yes, even in the Old Testament. I commend the leadership of this church, our pastor. I commend our pastor and the pastors here for the boldness to preach the whole word, not just a portion of the word, not just the easy text, quote-unquote, but to really take time and unpack the text verse by verse to help us to understand that, again, God's Word is to be preached in total. Let, let me be more specific with you. I believe that Jesus is in every book of the Bible, that you can see the ministry of Jesus taking place from Genesis to Revelation. And so this is powerful for us. And now, I, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat amused that uh, Pastor... And the team always see to it that I end up preaching the last uh, part of the series. I always get the last. They, I don't know if I'm the mop-up man or the tie-up man. You understand? They, they want me to always kind of bring it home. And so I, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And such is our, our, our task today is to finish up the book of Habakkuk. Let me give you some background before we really delve into the scripture, particularly chapter 3, which will be our final chapter that we will look at. For you that have not been with us, please listen carefully. It will give you the context of what we've been studying. Habakkuk is a prophet who lived during the final decade of Israel's southern kingdom, or that which is referred to as Judah. You've been around a while and you've heard us teach on this or you've studied it yourself. You realize that uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms or two segments. You have the northern kingdom, which is appropriately referred to as Israel. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah. It is the same people, but two different or distinct administrations. And both uh, kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom are now, uh, according to what we're reading here in the context of what we're reading, they have found themselves in a state of rebellion against God. They're not only rebelling against God, but they're taking their rebellion into practices of idolatry. They are not serving the true God. They're going and, and serving the gods of the other nations. All types of things are taking place. We'll review more of that in just a moment. But that's beginning to happen. We know from our past study that the northern kingdom, Israel, went into destruction first. Uh, they were taken into captivity or were defeated by the Assyrians, whereas the southern kingdom, Judah, it took place later. You would have thought that maybe Judah would have taken you know, notice of what happened in the northern kingdom and tried to get it right, but not so. They went deeper into their sin, deeper into their rebellion. And so God would raise up, as it were, prophets who would speak to the people, warning the people not to rebel against God, but rather to repent, which means to turn, to change one's heart, one's mind, one's direction, to turn back to God. And, of course, the people, sadly, would not hear this. 
This is where we pick up with Habakkuk, whom God will use to do an interesting type of prophetic ministry that is different than the other prophets. The other prophets who spoke to Judah and also spoke to the northern kingdom, typically they would speak directly to the people. They would give a warning to the people. They would remind them that they were to turn to God. So the prophets generally would speak to the people as they give this warning, whereas Habakkuk is different. He does not speak to the people or make his complaint with the people, but rather he makes his complaint with God. He speaks directly to God. That's what distinguishes his prophetic ministry from the other prophets. The other prophets spoke directly to the people who were in rebellion about themselves, whereas Habakkuk speaks to God about the people. He tells God, Lord, here's what's happening. This is what the people are doing. Isn't it interesting that from what we read and what we've studied over the last several weeks, it appears that Habakkuk is trying to give God information that he thinks that God has no knowledge of. He thinks that God might be ignorant of it. God, let me tell you what's going on in case you didn't know. I want to inform you. Sounds like some of us, some of us in our prayer life, we seem to want to communicate in prayer as though we're telling God something that he's unaware of. How many of you know that God knows more than you? Okay, get that in your head. I know you're smart. I know you're intelligent. But God knows more than you. In fact, the things that you think you know, Many times God in his loving rebuke has to come to us and say, you think you know, but you really don't. You really don't have a clue. And such is the case with Habakkuk. Habakkuk is going to make his complaint and use a style of writing that we're going to witness and that we have witnessed over the last several weeks of what is called lamenting. Lamenting. It's similar to what we see with the psalmist. The psalmist seemingly lament. When we read the Psalms, we see them lamenting. They speak of the injustice. They speak of the challenge. They speak of the sin. They speak of the problem. They speak of the issue. And then they move into a place of appealing to God, appealing to God to intervene, to do something about it. Habakkuk uses the same lamenting process or style in his communication with God. And so chapters 1... And chapters 2 of this small book, only three chapters, are in essence back and forth arguments between the man Habakkuk and God. Going back and forth. Habakkuk is going to make two primary complaints. Two primary complaints as he complains or speaks to God. The first complaint that he's going to make is that of, we find this in chapter 1. The first complaint is that, God, listen to this. Your people are not following you. The life in Judah is deployable. The people are disobedient to your word. They do not follow the Torah. They do not follow the commandments of the Lord. They have fallen into idolatry. And God responds to Habakkuk's first complaint. I'll tell you like this. If you're going to complain to God, be ready for a response. Be ready for an answer. And he makes the complaint, God, the conditions in Judah are deplorable. The people are not serving you. And God responds, not even a heavy, deep revelation. You know what God says? I know. 
I know. I know. You're not telling me something I didn't know, Habakkuk. And because of this, God says, I will respond by allowing the Babylonians to come and invade the land and all that you see standing will be destroyed. Not for utter destruction, but for the purpose of chastening my people whom I love and bringing them back to a place of repentance. Though they will be taken into captivity, I will restore Israel. But God says, I will allow the Babylonians to come. Uh, If you've been with us these past few weeks, you'll notice that we use the term Chaldeans and Babylonians interchangeably. Some of you have probably gotten a little confused and wondered, which are they? Are they the Babylonians or the Chaldeans? They're both. It's one and the same. It's speaking of the same people. So God says, I will allow the Chaldeans to come and invade the land. I will allow them to come and all that is will be destroyed, but for the purposes, again, of chastening those whom I love. You see, God in His love does allow correction. And it is not that God is, 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 again, wanting to utterly just wipe His people out and just destroy us. That's not the God that we serve. God's purposes are always, through His love, to bring us back into a place of fellowship with Him. Now, fascinating enough, He responds, God responds to Habakkuk. God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. Now, Habakkuk makes a second complaint. Here's the second complaint. No, God, no. Don't use the Babylonians. Don't indeed allow the Babylonians to be the ones that you will use as an instrument to bring correction and repentance and allow your people to return to you. Don't do that. Why? Because they are worse than us. Isn't it a fascinating situation or scenario that when we make our complaints to God, then we have the unmitigated goal to want to tell God how, he, how we want Him to do it, how we want Him to fix it, how he, we want Him to change the situation or fix the situation. God, don't use the Babylonians. They're worse than us. And here's what God is going to reply in saying to him. He says, listen, since I know more than what you know, Habakkuk, since I responded to you and told you what I'm going to do and it's still not clicking with you, I want you to get some tablets and sit down. And I want you to take notes. I want you to write this down so that it's clear in your head. And not only will it be clear in your head, but I want you to take this and share this with some other folks so that it will be clear in their head. In other words, take notes, sit down, take notes, write it down, and study this. Here's the point. I'm so glad that Habakkuk took notes Because if he had not taken notes, we wouldn't have a series this morning. (laughs) I'm so glad that he sat down and took down and wrote down some things. God says to him, here, write the vision. Write it clear. Real clear. Make it plain. So that you can teach this and those who hear it will understand it. When I was preaching years ago some 30 years ago in church. I'll never forget preaching in a church. And there was a lady there. Many times when I'd be preaching, she'd be sitting over on the left-hand side and I'd be preaching and she'd just holler out in the middle of the message. Some people would say amen. Some people would say hallelujah. She would say, make it plain. Make it plain. Make it plain. That's what we're doing. We're making it plain. Opening what is God saying? 
What is God speaking? He says, write this down so that it is clear. Two complaints, two responses. By the time we get to chapter 2, there are five woes, W-O-E-S, or judgments, that God speaks concerning the Babylonians. He says, these five judgments, I want you to take note, Habakkuk, I will judge Babylonia based upon this. I will judge the Chaldeans based upon these five things. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, their economic injustices. The way that they handle money, the way that they handle the resources, the way that they use uh, abuse of money and interest and and they charge high interest rates among the people. God says, I'm going to judge that. I'm going to deal with the Babylonians according to that. Secondly, I'm going to judge Babylonia based upon their social injustice and inequity, how they treat the poor, how they treat people who have less than them. God says, I'm going to deal with them concerning that. Thirdly, God says, I'm going to deal with them concerning how they abuse labor, forced labor or slavery. I will deal with them according to that. Fourth, I will deal with them according to this partying attitude that they seem to have where everybody just gets drunk and has illicit sex and just do what they want to do, with whom they want to do it, when they want to do it. No regard for God. No regard for the things of God. And then five, he says, I will also judge Babylon based upon the idolatry, the trust that they have in their own governmental structure, their military power, their politics. God says, I will judge Babylon according to these five judgments that will come upon that nation. But interesting enough, because we serve a God who is a God who does not make any distinction, who is a God who is no respect of person, this judgment that he speaks of concerning Babylon is not just merely Babylon, but any nation, any nation that turns this heart from God, any nation that turns this self from the things of God as to embrace economic injustice, social injustice, inequity, forced labor, a partying attitude, or idolatry. You see, the God we serve, He is completely righteous. He is completely holy. There is no unrighteousness or compromise with God. The God that we serve, listen, beloved, no one gets a pass. He is all righteous. He is all holy. He doesn't say, you're holy, you're righteous over here, and I'll let you guys slide in this section. And you over here, well, you guys are kind of halfway righteous. We'll, we'll let you all slide too. But this side right here, you've got to be completely holy and completely righteous. No, what is good for one is good for all. When he judges, he judges all. But that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the redemptive power of Jesus because we in our own ability cannot be righteous. We in our own strength cannot be holy. We in our own power cannot meet the requirements that God has set forth. So God says, I will send my only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when the Father looks at us, it's as though He is looking at His own Son. Amen. His own Son, Jesus. So again, any of these nations that would be uh, caught into these areas of, of five woes or these five judgments are subject to the same wrath of God or the same rage of God. Let me quickly give you the breakdown of the chapters of chapters 1 and 2 and then 3, and this will help set the tone of where we're going with this. In chapter 1, we find the complaint where, again, 
Habakkuk is saying, why, God, is there so much evil? Why is there so much injustice? Why are these things being allowed? Why are these things happening? I I submit to you, if I can just do a sidebar here, that there are some of us in this room right now that have experienced some things over the last two months that possibly you have asked the same question, why am I, a man of God, a woman of God, one who loves the Lord, experiencing the calamity, experiencing the challenges that I am facing right now? Why is it that I'm struggling in my marriage? Why is it that I'm seeing an attack against my children? Why is it that I prayed for a job, I fasted and asked God to hire me and bring me on this job that I really wanted? Now I'm fasting and praying that He move me off that job. Why is it that I'm going through all of these things? Why is it that I started out five years ago financially sound and things were working well? Now it seems like I'm literally in a financial state of ruin. What is going on? Why are these things being allowed? In chapter 2, in chapter 2, we find that God responds by saying this, I know what is happening and I got this. I got this. You ever hear somebody say, I got this? Possibly you've said it when somebody asks you something. And you say, I got this. I got this. Look at somebody next to you on your right and on your left and say, you ain't got nothing. Go ahead and tell me you ain't got nothing. You ain't even got your own self. Come on. We say it. We say, I've got this. But in essence, we don't really have anything. How many of you know when God says he's got it, he's got it. When God says He's got it, babes, He's got it. And that will lead us into chapter 3, and it breaks down like this. And the revelation of God, as He shows us Himself, it will bring humility, and ultimately we will end standing in confidence. Please take your brochure that you received, your bulletin that you received this morning, and fill this in, if you will, please. If we saw God's power, that's your first word, power. If we saw God's power, it's a reference to all of His ability, all of His authority. If we saw God's power, we would doubt no more. If we were to see God's power, if we saw God's power, we would doubt no more. Look with me over in Romans chapter 12. And I think, again, this will help us to understand what we're going to read in Habakkuk chapter 3 as we go to it in just a moment. Listen to what the apostle says. In chapter 12 and verse 1, very powerful text. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you. I I invoke you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters. These are believers. These are believers. These are not unbelievers he's referencing here. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the, watch this, mercies of God. By the mercies of God, not mercy, singular, mercies, plural. That means there's many of them, many mercies. There's mercy for this, there's mercy for that, there's mercy for your family, there's mercy for your finances, there's mercy mercy for your health, there's mercy for your mind, there's mercy, mercy for your relationships, mercies. I, I appeal to you. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, do what? Respond. Do something. To present your bodies, your beings, your gifts, your callings, your, your talents, all that you are, your essence. 
Do something based upon the mercies that God has given. Respond by presenting your bodies, how? As a living sacrifice. What makes it a sacrifice? The fact that it's alive. The fact that it's alive. The fact that you still have a will. The fact that you could still say no. The fact that you could still say, I don't want to. But what makes it a sacrifice is that you yield to yourself. You come to a place of spiritual maturity that you realize this life really is not about you. It's about God being glorified in our lives. I have died to myself. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. When I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, I died. I died and was made alive in him. So he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Watch this. Holy and acceptable to God. Based on what? The mercies of God. Hold your place right there for just a moment. There's a passage that came to me earlier today. And I had not planned to share this, but it came to me. I believe the Holy Spirit just gave it to me to share with you. And it's found in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, where it says these words. Listen to this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, again, plural, never come to an end. They're everlasting. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who, watch this, wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man or woman that he or she bear the yoke in his youth. Let him or her sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put or her put, let her put her her mouth in the dust. There may yet, there may yet be hope. Let them give, watch this, let them give their cheek to the one who strikes them and let them be filled with insults. Did you catch this? He says, this is the concept of turning the other cheek. When someone insults you or someone lies on you or someone does something that is bad towards you. Here, uh, the, the idea is turn the other cheek. Be so submitted and so dead to yourself that you're like a corpse. That to be slapped on one cheek causes you to move and bear the other cheek. Oh, look at some of you looking at me. There might be some cheeks turning. It ain't going to be mine. That, 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 yeah. Because that, that, you ain't dead yet. You're not, you're not dead yet. You're not willing to be that living sacrifice. That, that's the idea. But notice here in that passage in Lamentations. Lamentations. Lamenting. Notice here in Lamentation. It is this attitude of, again, mercies. Being silent. Embracing the mercies of God. Soaking that in. Now that helps me to understand why he says to us back in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 2. He says here, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Watch this. Holy. Stop right there for just a moment. Holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. I've heard this verse all of my life. Holy and acceptable to God. I grew up in a church background that used to tell us, be holy. Be holy. Holiness to the Lord. Be holy. They even went as far as to say this. Be, we used to sing a song. Get right, church, and let's go home. Get right. Uh, Jesus is getting us ready for that great day. Who shall be able to stand? Wires will be running 
on that great day. Sinners will be running on that great day. I was sitting there just terrified in my seat as I heard this. And they said, you got to be holy. They used to tell the women, don't cut your hair, no makeup, no jewelry, no earrings. They said, that's holy. No, that was ugly. But they said, holy. <laughs> holy. Holiness to the Lord. It wasn't until years later I realized it's not my righteousness. Come on, church. It's not my righteousness. It's not my own ability. I can't be holy. I can't be righteous. I cannot meet the requirement that God requires. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I need the power of the Holy Spirit living in my life every day to help me say yes to God. Oh, hallelujah. He says in this scripture, present your bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but watch this, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. How? By getting rid of stinking thinking. Be transformed in your mind from moving in a place that you're beating yourself up with shame and allowing the adversary, the accuser of the brethren to tell you you're not valuable to God, that you're not valuable to the people of God. Moving from stinking thinking that leads you to believe that there's no hope for your marriage, there's no hope for your family, there's no hope for your children. Getting rid of stinking thinking that you're always going to be a person that will always have to beg, borrow, and steal. He says, be transformed by renewing your mind. And then watch this. Often we skip over this part of the text. That by testing. That by testing. That by circumstances that will come your way. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's what he's saying here. It's one thing to say you're a believer. I love Jesus. I do. Yes, I do. But it is the test. No test, no testimony. When you have a test, that tries you, that tests you. It is in that place that Habakkuk wrote these words on the tablet that God spoke to him, that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith, not by what we see, Not by what we hear, not by what we feel, not even by what we think through a mind that has been untransformed or unrenewed. But that we would be people of faith that every single day it's a walk of faith. I may not like it, I may not feel it, I may not want it. But I will submit to it and be obedient because God knows something about this that I don't. God's got a plan that has yet to be revealed. I may have to do like Habakkuk. I might have to wait on it. But it's going to come to pass. It may take some time to see the revelation of it. But I have to walk it by faith. When the test comes, that's when your faith got to kick in. 
I'm going to say it again. When the test comes, it's not going to be your good looks that's going to give you the victory. It's not going to be your money that's going to give you the victory. It's not going to be all that you think you are that's going to give you the power and the authority. It will be faith in God's Word and standing on His promises. Let me be even more specific. You ever hear somebody say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's cute. That's nice. But can I say something to you? God said it, and it is settled, period. Whether you believe it or don't. Now, I'm going to tell you like my grandfather would say, it would behoove you. (laughs) It would behoove you to believe it. But even if you didn't believe it, God will not take his word back. God will stay with his word. His word is what he will stand by even above his name. Come on, somebody. God stands on his word. Let's go to Habakkuk 3 and let's wrap it up. Watch this in Habakkuk 3. I'm going to read all of it so you follow along. There's a reason I'm reading all of it because it is a poem often referred to as the prayer of Habakkuk or the song of Habakkuk. And it reads as such, O Lord, I heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Listen to what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard the report of how you have dealt with your people. Habakkuk says, God, you have a track record. There is evidence that this is not your first rodeo with hard-headed folks. God, there is evidence that you have worked with folks who have rebelled before, but it appears that in the midst of you using judgment to come and oppressors to come and affliction to come, in the midst of that, you have some way, somehow, restored your people and brought about deliverance. In other words, you have not turned your people totally over to destruction. God, you have a track record. He says, I've heard. Now, God, revive your work of love again. You chasten those whom you love. God, revive it again. In other words, God, do the same thing here. I've heard your report. Notice his, his, his tone is changing. Notice he's moved from chapter 1, chapter 2 of complaining now to a place of resolute. There's some resolution. There's there's something about that has encouraged him. There's something now in God's response that has caused him to arch his shoulders but carry a spirit of humility and confidence at the same time. As God has spoken, it has silenced the prophets complaining, but it has released him into being confident that some way, somehow, God is going to turn this thing around. Oh, Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, I fear in the midst of you years. Revive it. Revive it. Do it again. When I was growing up, we used to sing a hymn. Uh, we praise ye, praise you, O Lord, for the sign of your love, for Jesus who died and who has gone on above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. It, the, the idea is that God... Do what you did again. Do it now. Do it again, God. 
And then notice in the next verse here in verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is speaking of how God communicated and the places He communicated with His people from these mountains. And then notice as in my Bible it says the word Selah. Put a pin on that because we're going to come back in just a moment and find out what that word is. Selah. And then he goes on to say, His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand and there He veiled his power before him before God went pestilence and plague followed at his heels he stood and measured the earth he looked and shook the nations then the eternal mountains were scattered the everlasting hills sank low his were the everlasting ways I saw the tents of cushion in affliction the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble was your wrath God against the rivers O Lord was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea the reason he asked that question is because he sees how God is working through nature and he says God are you using are you judging the sea are you judging the Red Sea that opens up so that your people can cross over on dry land and as they cross over on dry land they look back at their enemy Pharaoh and all of his armies following them and as they get to the other side the sea comes back into his place and dries, uh, drowns Pharaoh and his army God are you judging the Red Sea the reason that it split God are you judging the river Jordan that when we were getting ready under the leadership of Joshua to cross over into the, the land of Canaan you caused the water to back up and it flooded on one side and then it raised up on a, as a heap as a wall on another side so that the children of Israel could cross over into Canaan God are you judging nature and he says no 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 the, the, the obvious answer is that God is not judging nature but he's using all of the things all of the nature all of the water of the sea the mountains the clouds the atmosphere he uses all of those things to bring his people to a place of not only repentance but a place of restoration God, are you judging the rivers, your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? I want to stop there for just a moment. Because often, as the children of Israel, we see God moving in situations around us. And we see the after effect. We see how nature responds. We see how the earth responds. We see see how the situation changes on our behalf. But we don't see the behind the scene work. That is taking place. Can I say something to you? You need to get this. The key to this passage is in the next verse when it says, When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation. You and I can only see what we see. But you need to understand there's some things that are working behind what you see in the natural. There's a spiritual realm. There's a war that is going on and the Lord is fighting for you. You only ask God to give you the job and you got the job. But you don't realize that God sent about a hundred angels that took your application off of one desk that wasn't going anywhere and moved it onto another desk so that that person would call you and interview you for the job that you're working on right now. 
you don't realize you just are shouting and rejoicing over the fact that you got the house with a credit score of 300. You don't realize that God, yes, he does. He jumps inside of credit scores and computers and changes things on your behalf. Some people don't believe this. There is a God. All you saw was the doctor come back and tell you that the report on the lab report shows all clear. But you don't recognize that God had some warring angels that were fighting on your behalf as somebody was praying for you and God broke the bow of the enemy. He pushed back what the enemy meant for evil. God turned that thing around for your good. Somebody ought to praise God that he is warring for you. There's a horse. There's an arrow. There's a bow that has been released on your behalf. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. There's that word again, Selah. Hold your place. We'll get there again. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and rift. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted the hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. A direct reference to Joshua when he was fighting against the Canaanite kings. All of his enemies were surrounding him, and he needed some more time. He needed God to do something so that the sun would not go down. He didn't want the sun to go down on his wrath. He needed the sun to stay in place. So what did God do? God caused the earth to stop rotating. My God. Caused the earth to stop rotating so that it appeared that the sun stood still and the moon stood still and Joshua was able to defeat his enemies. Can I say something to you? God, when he is working on your behalf and for your family and for your life, he pulls out all the stops. He pulls out all the stops. You wanted to come in here today and look sad and look depressed because of the attack that is going on in your life. But you didn't know that God was going to bring you into the house of the Lord to let you know that you won't leave here the same way that you came. You are going to have your mind transformed. Your mind is going to be renewed so that when you step out of these doors, I don't come, I don't care hell of high water what has come against your life. You will know that you know that you know that God is for you. You will know that God is with you. You will know that God has not forsaken you. Clap your hands and give him praise. Come on. Hey. The sun stood still in this place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Some translations say your anointed one, which is a direct reference to the Messiah, a direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and his lineage. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare, from the thigh to the neck. And there's that word again, Selah. Three times it's mentioned. By the way, the word Selah is only mentioned in the book of Habakkuk and Psalm. No other books. The only, way, only place you will see the word Selah is in the Psalms, all throughout the Psalms, and you see it in the book of Habakkuk. When I was growing up, they used to tell us that whenever you see the word Selah in the text, it means stop, pause, and meditate upon this. Now that's a good translation. That's a good definition. But it's deeper than that. 
It's deeper than that. My friend who is a rabbi, he was telling me about this. He says, when we sing the Psalms or when we sing this particular passage in chapter 3, he says, whenever we see the word Selah, it communicates to the congregation who is participating in group singing that we, it is a praise term. It means raise your voice. Elevate your voice. It means to elevate, lift your voice. And he says, that's the only time in the congregation that we tell the people you have the liberty to outdo each other. It means sing louder, literally. It means to sing or speak louder than the person who's standing next to you. Outshout each other. Outshout each other. Outsing each other. So he said, literally, when we sing these songs and we come to that part, Selah, the whole congregation shouts out. It means elevate. But here's another term. It means, watch this, everlasting strength. Hey, everlasting, everlasting strength. It means strength that does not give out. It means strength that keeps going. I, I don't have in my own body everlasting strength. I do 10 push-ups, I'm done. I do 15 sit-ups, I'm through. You understand? But the God we serve can carry anything and everything that's on you right now. He has everlasting strength. So when we say Selah, it is not a cutesy praise. It's not a hallelujah. Thank you. It is a demonstrative shout it means to declare even if you've got to shout louder than the person sitting next to you because can't nobody tell the story of what God has done in your life like you can can't nobody praise God for what he's done in your life like you can we used to say it like this can't nobody tell it like you can tell it so you have to shout it out and declare it. That's what the word Selah means. Let's finish it up. So he uses this word here and he says, Selah, Selah. You crush the head of, of, of the house of the wicked, laying aside him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierce with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging mighty waters. In other words, he says, God... I've heard the report. Now notice what he says. I hear. I hear and my body trembles. My mother, who's with the Lord, I told you she's been with the Lord 15 years. She was a praying woman. There were people who came from everywhere, all types of people that would ask my mother. They called her Mother Lovelace to pray for them. They believed that if anybody could get a prayer through, Mother Lovelace could. And she was a praying woman. I mean, she, you'd walk up to her and she would tell you, God is able. When she died 15 years ago, I took her Bible that was at the head of her bed. She had pictures of loved ones and family members and friends in that Bible. She had letters and prayer lists in that Bible. She had names in that Bible. She had job applications that people gave her in that Bible. She had school applications. She had more stuff in her Bible than the words of God themselves. You understand? Everything was in that 
Bible. But the thing that stands out to me on this Mother's Day that may encourage you is that one thing that I remember she always did when people would come to her, typically they would come broken, complaining, sad, depressed, mad, angry. They were talking about getting a divorce. They were talking about they were just going to die based upon what the doctor said. They were talking about they were going to lose their home. They were talking about they didn't have any money. All of these things. And mother would always constantly respond the same way. She would stop them and say, Shh. Shh. Hush. God is working. Shut your mouth. Stop. Stop. Don't say another word. God is working. And they would stand there crying and tears running down their face. Say, hush, baby. Shh. God is working. Go wash your face. Run some water on your face. Pull the blinds up on your windows. God is working. Shut your mouth. Because, why did she say that? Because as long as you're talking... All you hear is yourself. You hear your fear. You hear your doubts. You hear the unbelief. You hear the parts of the shame. You hear the brokenness. Shh. Lean on somebody next to you, y'all, and say, Shh, be quiet, be quiet. God is working. God's working. God's working. Calm yourself down. Shut your mouth. God is, I'm going to work tomorrow and I'm going to tell those people off. I'm going to snatch somebody bald headed. No, you're not. You're going to God is working. That's what happened. Habakkuk now says, I hear. First time he says it. I hear, and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, and the rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will be quiet. I will wait patiently. I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Because I know, in essence, he's saying, in God's wrath, God will show me compassion. And he closes with this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fails. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, it may not all be looking like I want it to look. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. And He makes my tread. He makes me to tread. On high places. Interesting, he uses this terminology. Yet will I praise him. That's a faith walk. That's living by faith. Don't like it. Don't want this to happen. Sad stuff is going on. Mad, maddening stuff is going on. But yet will I praise him. I'm not doing this while my senses. I'm walking by faith. I'm living by faith. I, 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 don't, I don't wait. I don't wait to come here to get my praise on. I don't wait till Jake and the team comes up and that's my signal to praise. I've learned how to praise God in my car. I've learned how to praise Him in my house. I've learned how to find a broom closet on the job and during my breaks go and sit next to the Clorox and the Ajax and give God some praise. 
I've learned like I did a few moments ago before I came in here. I said, Lord, I don't know what you plan to do, how you plan to do it. But while I was upstairs in my own office, I just closed the door and got my own little dance and my own little praise on before God. And I said, God, I'm praising you for every marriage that's going to be delivered. I praise you for cancer that's going to be healed. I praise you for children that are going to be brought back home. I praise you that minds are going to be changed. I just started praising him in advance. I don't wait for somebody to tell me to praise him. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. Oh, y'all, I got to let you go, but I feel like preaching. Hallelujah. He gives me hinds feet for every elevation, for every incline, for every obstacle. Why hinds feet? A hind is a female deer. That's what the word hind means. It's a female deer, particularly a red deer, who uniquely, unlike any other animal, wherever she puts her front hoof or her front foot, her back feet come up and go precisely, strategically into the same location, not even an inch off. That gives her the advantage to swiftly move past her predator. What am I trying to tell you? I certainly am not giving you a lesson on deers. I'm giving you an understanding that as God guides you and directs you, even while the wrath is coming, even while the judgment is coming, His love, His compassion, His steadfast love, His mercies which are new every morning will guide your feet. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will give you peace when there's chaos around you. The Holy Holy Spirit will tell you, be still when you want to do it your way. The Holy Spirit will say, shut your mouth when you want to talk. The Holy Spirit will tell you, trust me when you feel like I don't have an answer. The Holy Spirit will be with you because the walk we walk is by faith. Thus, we end the book of Habakkuk. Hallelujah. Put your arms around yourself. Put your arms around yourself. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean. On Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Will you stand with me? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sink. Come on, lift those hands high. On Christ the sourcing out. Little rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Father, thank you. The just, those who have been justified, the redeemed of the Lord, will live by faith. 
We don't have to see it in the natural. We don't have to hear it in our senses. We don't even have to feel it. But we will know it by faith that whatever you have decreed and declared, it will come to pass. Now, we hear you. Shh! We shut our mouths. And we hear you. So that you leave us with this confidence that you have given us hinds feet for high places. In Jesus' name. Give God the best praise you can give him. Come on, give him a sailor praise. A sailor praise. Come on, a sailor praise. Hey! A sailor praise. Glory to God. Bless his name. The prayer team is coming. They're going to be standing here. If we can pray with you, if you want to know more about the Lord Jesus, if you need healing in your body, don't hesitate. Come on up. Let us pray with you and agree with you. Go towards peace and serve the Lord, beloved.